0: Hello and welcome to your Over the Farmgate podcast, brought to you by Farmers Guardian. I'm your host for this week, Farmers Guardian editor and agri-briefing group editor, Ben Briggs. Don't forget, we'll bring you a new episode of the podcast every Tuesday. Just make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcast platform. On the show this week, our business reporter Alex Black has been looking at two sectors which have seen a flying trade in the last 12 months, namely the beef and sheep sector And also the property sector. Both markets have been achieving some truly heady prices, both buoyed by tight supply and high demand. Stuart Hamilton of Bolton and Cooper Auctioneers and Estate Agents gives us his predictions for the next 12 months on what types of property and land will find favour with buyers. But first, it's over to the livestock rings. And are things finally starting to slow down on the beef and lamb side and how have border issues affected the export trade? Plus, with COVID-19 restrictions bringing big changes to how livestock rings operate, with a big emphasis on technological solutions, Alex asked Chris Dodds of the Livestock Auctioneers Association and Russell Steer, Kivell's Exeter Auctioneer, which of these changes they think will stick.
1: Livestock prices have been at a historical high since the turn of the year, with a strong trade for both sheep and cattle. Now, while exporters have faced problems at ports since Brexit... The trade has been held up by tighter numbers and firm domestic demand. I caught up with the LAA's Chris Dodds and Kivel's auctioneer Russell Steer to find out more about what was going on at marts around the country. Chris, first of all, do you want to give us an update of what you've seen since the turn of the year?
2: I mean, we've all seen it, haven't we? Record prices, really. We've seen the um, old season lamb. Some people call them hoggets. Um, reaching prices that we we most of us have not seen in our lifetimes, um, and uh, the live market completely and utterly driving the trade in in that supply and demand um, forum that we create. Uh, and cattle have been the same. And in fact, you know, we, we, although we're seeing a slight steady off in sheep trade, and that's probably down to the fact that a lot of people are getting to their tail end all season lamb, and we're not getting into uh, big numbers of spring lamb in many parts of the country, although I'm sure will say that the spring lamb will come forward in good numbers now. Um, the, the, the cattle trade is um, is is getting dearer, um, more or less as we speak, and we're seeing store cattle at uh, prices that uh, we wouldn't have imagined to, to probably have seen again when, you know, it's not that many years ago when abattoirs were talking about maximum prices and, uh, you know, Categorizing different sectors of the prime slaughter cattle um, consignments into overweights and underweights, and overage and underage, and bulls and steers and everything else—you um, know—the the live auction marts being fine that every category, without question, has been uh, a really good trade.
1: And I suppose you touched on it there, but you know—is that showing the value that the live auction marts have for for farmers and for buyers?
2: Well, I think we're going to always say that, aren't we? Um, you know, markets are undoubtedly at their at their real strength when when uh, uh, demand outstrips supply, and um, we've consistently seen that for the last twelve months. And um, and without any doubt whatsoever, uh, the live auction marts have had one of their strongest twelve months periods that we've seen for a long time, c- continually strong. Um, and and um, there's all sorts of reasons for it, but we have seen that.
1: And um, Russell, do you want to take us through a little bit about what you've seen on the ground the past uh, few weeks and months?
3: Yeah, so um, I'm down in Exeter, down in, in the West Country, and um, we're typically early with the spring lambs, um, and we've had a yeah, we've had a fantastic season really. Not only have the the lambs done well. Um, and, and we found plenty of them. Um, but the trade has helped bring them out and it's helped bring them to market as well. The, the, the markets led uh, led the way on, on the pricing of these new season lambs. Um, and for that reason, you know, we, we've, we've got more than we've ever had. Um, and we've sold them at, at levels we've never seen before. Um, which is absolutely fantastic uh, for, for the sheep farmers. Uh, and also, you know, coupled to that, as Chris mentioned, that the hogs have been a good trade right the way uh, since uh, since early January. Um, and, and yeah, these new season lamb are a terrific, terrific trade. Uh, and the coal use as well, um, you know, have just been selling at levels that, that we've not seen uh, for a prolonged period of time. We haven't seen before, you know, so it's, it's fantastic.
1: And I know obviously pre- um, Brexit and, and at the tail end of last year, we we're all talking about you know potential cliff edges for the for the sheep trade. If it, if you can cast your mind back that far now, and and obviously exports have taken a, a hit this year with with everything that's been going on. Uh, how has that impacted your trade? Have you seen you know changes in, in any patterns there?
3: Yeah, absolutely. The, the the spring lambs going to the continent is um you know it's been it's been majorly affected um there are you know there are different companies now um exporting these lambs and, and sourcing these lambs um and then they're not the little local uh, local firms that we uh that, that we used to have you know it's gone into the hands of of some bigger players which um is okay in in, in the short term but uh not quite entirely sure where it leaves us or leaves the industry in in, in the longer term
1: Obviously, you're, you're there on the ground speaking to farmers and to buyers every day. What's the, what's the mood been like? What are people talking about at the mart?
3: Oh, they're talking about the prices. Yeah, they're talking about the prices. And, and the fact, you know, farmers are grateful for the fact that, that marts have been able to, to remain open for the last 12 months. You know, we're just over 12 months into this pandemic. Um, and although there was a, a brief halt in, in the store sheep sales, Um, you know the prime markets have continued non-stop okay we've had a few hiccups due to to political issues um, and exporting issues but um, you know we've traded 52 weeks of the year uh, and farmers are are very thankful for that and and very supportive of of that at the moment
1: and I'm going to ask you to get your crystal ball out a little bit here and tell me what you're expecting over the coming coming weeks (laughs)
3: um <laughs> it's a job to know. Uh, I, I think we're we're set fair. I'm, numbers are tight. That, that's that's the main driver in this trade. Um, you know, with the old season hogs, it's been it's been the shortage that has has driven the trade from you know from the first of January. Um, and I think you know there's been a lot of u hogs killed. There will continue to be a lot of u hogs killed um, at these levels there'll be the spring lambs a heck of a trade i mean yes they are are 30s you you can make as much of 37 8 9 kilo lambs as you could of those heavier lambs farmers will go out and pick tight over the next few weeks uh, and and get these lambs away lighter weights um and that will just you know bring bring the 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 numbers forward quicker and earlier which will keep uh, you know keep supplies tight right the way through the summer i think excellent
0: let's
1: hope so and um Chris, I want to take a look at the um, pandemic. I mean, obviously, there's been some major changes to the way all of life operates over the last year, but obviously to the way the auction marks. What's changed for your members? What have they been doing to make sure that the marks can keep going through this period?
2: Well, clearly, the, the, the biggest threat to us all was um, operating during the pandemic, the COVID pandemic. You know, We've managed to keep our members in business, we've managed to keep an outlet for farmers which is the most important part of it and, and, and quite rightly so we've been seen as um, a pivotal part and an important player within the uh, food supply chain because um, food as we know it, as in the red meat sector primarily, uh, is not just the, the animals that hit the abattoir because the feeding men have to be supplied as well in order to keep the chain moving. Um, so our members were, were um, it was hard for them to be turning around to farmers and saying, sorry, you can't represent your stock in the market. We're only allowed buyers in. Um, and of course, the, the wearing of masks, social distancing and everything else is, is alien to everyone, um, particularly farmers. You know, Farmers live in a very rural setting. And so their chances of being infected at home are probably much greater, much smaller than uh, someone living in a city where they're always meeting people. Um, but everyone's adapted well they've worked well and uh, it's worked fine but on, on top of that our members have looked at doing different methods of selling selling um, animals and machinery so we've had timed auctions developed where um, auctioneers have been selling animals but primarily machinery uh, where they're putting it on the website and then people are bidding within a set time range um, some people have tried a bit of both within the, within the live uh, animal sales where they've been live streaming the sales so that farmers that can't come can actually watch the sale. And, and that's been helpful because people have been able to compare their type of stock to what other stocks making, which is, you know, on a normal day, um, uh, markets are the most efficient place to help farmers benchmark. Uh, to help farmers understand why a product is making more or less than someone else's. Whether it's too big, too fat, um, too thin, the wrong breed. You know, there's a multitude of reasons. Uh, Of course, if you stand in a market, you're seeing all these different types. And so it's been difficult because that's been missing. So some of some marts have tried live streaming, uh, which has worked well. So they've adapted. But what is very, very clear is that the farming community all They want to do is get back into that live ring, you know. As auctioneers, one of the areas that we have uh, we are very involved in, um, in the, in the style of our business, but very concerned of is, is farmers' um welfare in mental health. The auction marts have traditionally offered a fantastic place for farmers to come and talk and see their mates, and see, and you know, have it be in a community that they're happy with, um, and we. We're eagerly waiting for the time when we get back to some degree of normality for those people. Um, but our, our auctioneers have tried just about everything and done it very, very successfully. Um, it's a credit to them, really. Um, and we would thank everyone in the chain, from Polish contractors to farmers to buyers, to the auctioneers themselves for doing everything they have.
1: And Russell, could you expand on what you've personally been doing?
3: Yeah, well, it was... Um, the. <laughs> The first sale we held um, under the COVID restrictions, you know, just over twelve months ago now, um, the image of looking across the market, a market full of sheep, um, and just seeing three drovers at the end of the market, you know, and, and, and four buyers. I think there was there was four buyers. A couple of buyers, you know, turned up and, and weren't sure what they were doing, so left again. And just, yeah, four buyers still in front of me with gloves on and masks on. Um, about twelve months ago now. Um, that image will, will stay with me for, for all time really. I think it was, you know, just just a very surreal moment. Um, and, and as confidence came, so so more buyers came and, and the trade lifted. Um, and, and yeah, it, you know, we we've been operating like it now for, for 12 months or in a similar situation. Um, it now feels the the new sort of normal um unfortunately um but we are we're we're keen to get back to welcoming you know welcoming all farmers back into the to the mart um to see their stock sold um and and having that that mart atmosphere and and yeah that that we're a community atmosphere here in in the market
1: and obviously i'm sure most of uh, the people listening to this are very keen to get back to to the mart but you know, both for that reason, for other social reasons. But is there anything that you've taken up during the pandemic that you think you can learn from or, or will stick around, you know, once we hopefully get back to some normality?
3: I think some of the, uh, yeah, Chris touched on the, the technology of, of live stream streaming and, and internet billing. Um, we, we've, you know, we've used one of those platforms, particularly in, in the dairy and, and pedigree cattle sales um and we're using it with sheep next week for the first time um, but we've used it now for several months on the dairy side and it's been yeah it's been well received and uh, and, and a great asset to our business which we're, we're not going to let go of now you, you know that that is that that is um, another string to our bow um it's another yeah sales uh, platform for ourselves that we're, we're keen to keep hold of and, and and to use and to go forward with
1: and Chris, what would you like to see the auctions and the industry learn from this period? Uh,
2: well, I mean, we all learn, don't we, with everything. And you look back to 2001, through those dreadful times, we learned something. But um, the pandemic has been hard on everybody. Um, uh, but what we have learned is that um, you, can, you can rely on um, uh, businesses that uh, are there to help um, agriculture, help the producer. Which is what we do um, and that we'll do everything we can to help and, and as Russell says, you know um, they intend to maintain a, a part of their business that will involve uh, live streaming uh, possible internet bidding uh, and and what it does mean is that for the people that have challenged us possibly over the last ten or fifteen years about not having time to stay with their stock in the mart and therefore they didn't think they could present them. You know it's shown that for 12 months now uh, for, for, for m- most categories of livestock in our members markets more so at, at, at different times during the pandemic depending on the restrictions in place that you can quite easily present stock get a fair price for it without actually staying to watch it being sold and it's a great thing it's it, it I think it shows us in a, in a, in a, in a good way of how farmers can trust their auctioneers and need to work with their auctioneers for the benefit of themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, the auction system has come up good. It's it's stood its ground. It's um, uh, tried every way possible to provide a service that creates competitive trade. And that's what we're all about. We're all about trying to make the most of stock as we can for the producer.
0: Thanks to Alex Black and also to Chris Dodds and Russell Steer. Technology has certainly allowed so many businesses to adapt during the pandemic and it's great to hear some of those technological solutions will be carried on, even when things return to normal.
1: You're still ploughing on and so are we. Get Farmer's Guardian delivered directly to your door every week and access the latest news from the world of agriculture 24-7 through fginsight.com. Simply subscribe to Farmer's Guardian. Check out our latest deals at fginsight.com forward slash subscriptions today. And now I'm joined by Stuart Hamilton of Bolton Coopers, auctioneers and estate agents in York. If we cast our minds back to March last year when we first went into lockdown here in the UK, do you want to tell us where the market's been over the past year?
4: So I moved down to Yorkshire the start of last year um, from the east of Scotland Up until that point, the market had been very buoyant. Demand was good. Availability of farmland to the market was strong. And we did think that things were going to carry on quite nicely for the the whole of 2020. Obviously, March came in, lockdown was thrust upon us, and the market ceased completely. So at that point, nobody really knew what was going to happen. We're always sort of trying to consult the crystal ball to see where things are going to end up, where the supply and demand is going to come from. And actually, at that time, we were sort of hearing rumours that people were keen for for rural property. I was invited to speak on Radio 4 in May last year on that very subject. And uh, fortunately, my forecast of increased demand for anything rural uh, came true. And we saw that in the second half of the year. And it was across the board. It wasn't just farmland, it was absolutely anything. So anything country-based went from being almost a sort of second fiddle to you know properties in the towns and villages to being at the top of people's lists. And when it came to farmland, by that point, I suppose middle of the year, supply had completely dried up. There was nothing on the market and anything that was Was taking an age to complete because all the solicitors were working from home, the land registry shut down, everything ground to a halt, and we thought that was it. However, when things opened up in the summer, we got back to a much better place, demand kicked off again, and anything that has been brought to market has just been snapped up. And I think 2020 has shown that in the face of adversity, particularly in the rural sector, that farmland is something that people are very much aware of and prepared to invest in because it is seen as such a safe asset. It's something that people want to own. And I suppose my take on that is that that's only going to continue.
1: One of the areas, obviously, of rural sales, you've touched on there, is about lifestyle buyers. We're all working from home. How much of the, the market... Has been buoyant for people, you know, looking to move to the countryside, and you know, what kind of properties are they looking for?
4: We have seen huge increase in, in city dwellers looking to move to the countryside. Uptake in high speed broadband has helped that. Connectivity has never been better in the country. Obviously, there's much to do, and that is definitely a driver. And that's across the board from small, I suppose, lifestyle properties, you know, sort of um, houses, buildings, and ten acres up to bigger properties, and and we all know that from a farming point of view, there's a big difference between the sort of um, owner-occupier and and tenanted sector. And if you're not coming from an owner-occupier background, it's very difficult to finance an entry into sort of farming, to buy the land, to buy the equipment, to start from scratch. Obviously, we see schemes and and councils offer land for rent but they're normally quite small units and there's no guarantee as to how long you'll be able to stay on the property. My suggestion was that if there is continued demand for rural properties, so farms with really nice farmhouses, stackyards, nice pretty properties, that could be a driver for sort of reinvigorating the tenanted sector because you would end up with owners of land who have no interest in farming it, looking for some sort of return, Um, And the returns are not huge, but there are returns to be had with a safe asset, which appreciates some value. If you've got somebody with city money coming to the countryside to buy a nice property, which has 200 acres spare, they need somebody to look after that. And that is the ideal win-win scenario, because you've got wealthy individuals who want to own a piece of the UK and they want somebody to farm the land. And that increases land supply. Whether that's something that people are prepared to look at, I don't know. But I do think that given interest rates are so low, return on capital is is terrible. Now is the ideal time to be investing in land. So we, we shall wait and see. 2021 is going to be an interesting year for all of us to see what happens. My gut feeling is that on the back of such a period of oppression, the UK is going to be desperate to get their checkbooks out spend money and, and, and enjoy themselves. And I think that's what we've got to look at. And obviously we are heading, lockdown is slowly being eased, but it has highlighted how important the countryside is. We've not seen, I suppose, people taking to the countryside in such numbers. I, I've never seen it before. All of a sudden, the countryside is seen as somewhere people are desperate to go to.
1: Does that then open up opportunities for um, people with obviously with diversifications in the tourism sector and for land that's got, I suppose, the potential to, to diversify into that sector?
4: Absolutely. One of the things I've never come across coming from the east side of Scotland, um, we have got very different laws in Scotland, and, and you've got the, the right to responsible access, which effectively means that you can walk anywhere you like within certain guidelines and having moved down here, the thing that has amazed me the most is the number of enclosed dog walking areas. Um, I'd never seen those before. So they've got great big sort of uh, deer fenced blocks of grass with a small hut and and a proper gate. You drive your vehicle in, open the doors, let your dogs run free, pick up your mess, dogs back in the car, out you go, shut the gate again. And it's that to me is, is the perfect example of the, the kind of projects that farmers should be looking at. It's, it's something that causes you no issue with the rest of your farm. It takes up a small area of land. People are desperate for these things. It gives them security because their dogs will not run away. It gives the landowners peace of mind because it means the dogs are contained. And it brings in an income. You pay online, they've all got automated setups. That is the kind of thing that if, if the farming market can tap into responsible access, the vast majority of people are keen to do it. And I think we have seen diversification increase over the past six months as, as people realise there's a captive audience of, of urban dwellers who want to take access into the countryside, but they want to do it responsibly. And I think this is something that we need to be looking at as a, as a collective
1: I don't know. You'd been saying that um, now's a great time, you know, to, to bring a, a property, a, a land or an estate to the market. Why? Yeah. Why do you believe that? And and
4: let's concentrate on the family farm. We have certainly in Yorkshire there is very, very little on the market. Basic economics dictates. You know, you need you needed de- demand and and supply. We have no supply. Demand has increased. And anything that is brought to market doesn't really matter the size has got people clamoring to, to buy it. The difference down here from my background in, in Scotland is that we tend to work in offers over policy north of the border down here, you work a guide price. Um, and yet in the past, I suppose, almost a, yeah nine months, let's say, guide prices have been thrown out the window. They have become the starting point rather than the goal. That's, Certainly in Yorkshire, across the board, we've we've seen we've sold paddocks at money that makes very little sense, um, and it's all down to aspirational buyers who who want to own a piece of the countryside. Woodland forestry has just gone crackers. We've not seen forestry values like this ever, but the family farm covers all of that. So you know, a nice let's say four or five hundred acre family farm. It's got a farmhouse, maybe a farm cottage, a nice range of farm buildings. Whether it's got ponds, woodlands, whatever, that has now become something that, in a ring fence, they're like gold dust. And values are starting to show that we're we're starting to. We saw big values in sort of twenty fourteen, twenty fifteen, twenty sixteen. They tapered off a little bit, and now I think we're on the verge of an increase again. Location is important. We've we've seen it the last two winters, when you look at some of the lower-lying land, which has flooded winter crop establishment, is becoming difficult, especially when your drainage is poor. And what we're going to see is premiums being paid for well-managed, well-drained, well-looked-after farmland. I don't know if you've been keeping abreast of the sort of agriculture bill and, and what the priorities are within that. But one of the things that they talk about is, is looking after the soil. And I think that's what we're going to see. So your, your, your arable units, which continually rotate cereals, already will be suffering slightly with the yields. You know, you're losing your organic matter in the soil. The structure's not there. When you get a wet winter and, and really serious compaction, when it comes to harvest, your yields are back. And, and what we're going to see, I think is well-farmed, mixed farmland start to be worth the premium. I think that's going to be one thing. If, if I was a farmer and I had aspirations to sell my land at some point in the future, condition of the soil would be my number one priority, because that is something that farmers can do something about. You know, stop selling straw, but again this is going to have a knock on to the upland areas. Straw this year has been such a big premium. And to be honest, there's no easy answer to solve everybody's issues, but I do think soil structure is going to be key. And and well, well-farmed rotations, which have livestock in the mix, or even if it's imported dung, slurry, whatever, you're going to start to see improvements, and you're going to start to see adaptability to weather conditions, which have changed. That would be my, I suppose, advice to anyone listening, is concentrate on your soil,
1: I suppose over the over the decades, really, we we've seen sort of you know that specialization of farms, if that's the right right way to put it, you know. Do, do you think mixed farming is going to be that traditional sort of mixed farm is is back on the rise then?
4: Various wise people have told me over the years that you're either an arable farmer or a livestock farmer, and you're never both. And I think that is probably true. However. We are seeing that a lot of people have, let's take a a sheep enterprise, for example, and they maybe have thousands and thousands of sheep. Now, we have always got people looking for for back-end overwintering um, to graze sheep, whether it's stubble turnips or some sort of forage crop, or even just grass. To bring that into your rotation makes such a difference. You know, not only do you, for example, if you've got a, you know, let's say a crop of peas in the ground, and you follow that with a crop of stubble turnips. You get your pea rent, you then get your stubble turnips in behind, you graze them over the winter with sheep, and you're ready for a spring crop. Now, fine, you've missed out on your winter wheat. You have then got your land just in a really nice stage, and it gives it a break, and And we're, that's something that I think needs to be looked at more. Again, it depends on the land type, not everywhere can, can sort of do that, and it does have its limitations on heavy land. But I, I, I still feel that working with your neighbours, giving yourself options, sowing something, there will always be something, somebody who will graze a crop with, with sheep or even cattle. And, and I think this is going to become something that's more relevant as, as time goes on. There's definitely a, a market for increased integration between livestock farmers and arable farmers to work together and whether that's straw for dung arrangements or or whether it's just renting out forage crops. People need to communicate. And I think farmers are really bad at this in general. I like to talk about benchmarking and, and business analysis. And people look at me as if I've got two heads, you know, because why, why would you spend time and money doing all this nonsense when, when we're busy farming? It's difficult. Farmers are quite... If we could get farmers just to talk a bit more, look at where their farm is is maybe underachieving, look at ways of sorting that. How would there be ways that they could join up with three or four neighbours within a five-mile radius, come up with a plan so that everybody's better off, the land improves, returns improve. We start talking about things that have gone well, things that have gone badly. Monitor farms, great, great thing, but it's really nice just to, to open up your business look at figures, look at ways of doing things. And on the back of that, as a, as a, a land agent, we would see these farms, it doesn't take that many years, well, maybe five to 10 years, but you would see farmland improve in quality and improve in value. So not only would your returns increase, your income increases, but your capital, your balance sheet values go up. Thanks also to
0: Stuart Hamilton, who raised some excellent points there. Farmland land is often seen as a safe asset, but there's no doubt city dwellers making the move to rural areas will need someone to farm their land. So let's hope this does bring opportunities to the tenanted sector, as well as boosting prices for those looking to sell. Well, that's it for this week. We'll be back next week with another episode of the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcast platform, And do check out our website, fginsight.com, or pick up a copy of the magazine on Friday. Thanks for listening, stay safe, and goodbye for now.